Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to the program, everyone. We are finally home. For those that didn't know, we spent the last week either visiting family in Ohio or attending the third annual CryptidCon in Lexington, Kentucky. But more on that here in a little bit. Now, tonight's episode is a bit weird, for lack of a better term. But I'll also get into that here shortly. But first, I need to kick things off with a call. The following is Joe's submission from the state of Georgia. Hi, Derek. My name is Joe. I'm from Georgia originally, and I've got a kind of an odd story to tell. When I was around 12 years old, uh, we lived on about a three-acre plot, and there was a wooded lot between my house and the neighbor's house. And right along the wood line, we had a metal porch swing that uh, we would sit on most evenings with my mother and father and just relax and talk about the day. And, you know, they would tell us jokes and stories and whatnot. And one night, I was awakened from uh, sleeping, and I heard the swing creaking outside as if someone were swinging on it, you know. And I ignored this and went back to sleep. For the next few nights, I would hear the same thing. You know, the swing was creaking continuously. And finally, one night, I, uh, I got up and decided to just go outside and see who was out there or, or what was going on. You know, this is the middle of the night. It, it may have been like 10 p.m. or something. So I, I walked outside the front door, uh, stepped off the porch, and I looked to my left uh, just along the wood line. And... I noticed there was someone sitting in the swing, so I walked a little closer. I thought it was my father at first. As I got closer to the swing, I realized that it was not my father. It was the devil. And he looked as if he were in human form. He had a uh, a red aura. And, you know, it it was a very troubling thing to see. Oddly, though, I wasn't afraid. I, I was actually... It felt comforting and almost hypnotic, and he asked me to come and sit with him in the swing, and uh, I told him no, and that he needed to leave. So the moment I said that, he uh, he disappeared, and the swing just abruptly stopped, and I was left standing in the front yard in total darkness, you know, alone. So I walked back inside the house, and my mother woke up, and she said, you know, what in the world are you doing outside? And I didn't tell her anything. I just said, hey, I thought I heard a noise, and I went to check on it, and I'm going back to bed. It, it was just a weird situation, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the face was very demonic and monstrous looking. And like I said, he had this red aura. You know, she didn't know what I was – my mother didn't know what I was doing outside. I've never told anyone the story, and it, it's – troubled me for quite some time you know to think about it and i actually thought that if i ever brought it up again or mentioned it again that it would occur again so i i just shoved it back into my memory bank and thought hey you know that's just a weird thing to happen and never want that to happen again but yeah that's my story love the podcast and uh best of luck with the show brother take care Thank you for that story, Joe. 
Now this may come as no surprise, but I'm a bit of a Stephen King fan. Now unfortunately I don't have a ton of time to read books, but on occasion I will fire up one of his audiobooks while I'm doing some work around the studio. And one of those audiobooks I found in particular reminds me a lot of Joe's story. It's a short story entitled The Man in the Black Suit. Now essentially it's about a young boy in the early 20th century that encounters the devil while fishing one day. A devil with pale skin, fire for eyes, teeth like those of a shark, and a crisp black suit. Now obviously this story is pure fiction. But the way that Joe described his encounter, I couldn't help but make those correlations. So if you have the opportunity, I highly recommend you listen to King's story. You'd be surprised how similar it sounds to what Joe described. Thank you again, Joe, for taking the time to share your tale. Now, as I mentioned in the intro of the show, we're just now returning from CryptidCon, a weekend-long conference in Lexington, Kentucky, about all things cryptid. Sarah and I had an amazing time meeting fans and fellow podcasters and artists alike. In addition, we finally got to meet the incomparable Addie Lloyd. Thank you again, Addie, for all your help this weekend. Something tells me you had just as much fun as we did. But this is where things get a little bit weird. I knew I was going to be short on time to put this episode together. So over the past week or so, I'd been slowly collecting stories. Stuff I'd listened to a while back and didn't really have a home for. I thought, well, maybe this will be a mishmash kind of thing. It is important to know that the call sequence that I'm about to play was completely coincidental. That'll certainly tie in here in a little bit and I'll explain that as I go further. But I thought I'd kick things off with a story that I mentioned in one of the talks I did this weekend. During one of the question and answer panels, I was asked if I could recall a story where a witness received bad luck as a result of the strange encounter that they had. I believe the question was more in line of UFOs, but strangely enough, I had one in mind. This call that was submitted anonymously. Good morning, Derek. This story takes place in Massachusetts. Me and my sister go on a yearly spook tour, if you will, where we go to haunted locations or just check out cool locations each year. And we went to Salem, Massachusetts this time. This was in 2016, so we were in Salem, you know, checked out all that and went to Gloucester for some clam chowder and whatnot. And then we were looking up things around there. So we came across a place called Dogtown. Dogtown's an abandoned city. It's been abandoned, I believe, uh, 150 years roughly. So, you know, obviously we, once we got there in part, me and my sister are both incredibly tall people. And you feel lethargic, like you just feel like as soon as you stepped out of the car that the energy is just drained out of you. So, you know, we were walking and walking and, you know, we're very fit people. So it's just weird that we would get this sensation at randomly. And we're walking about a quarter mile into the trail. And I mean, it's dog town because there's literally feral dogs everywhere. So we're seeing these and it's, I mean, it's an incredible place to, you know, experience. But then we see this creature, and I'm talking like full-fledged, like bipedal dog, a dog man, if you will. And he is sitting there about, I'd say, a football length ahead of us, because where we were at, it was, a, it was an open area, but it's lined with trees. And, I mean, it's just sitting there, and it's almost like it, it looked at us, and it literally just turned around and walked away and it's one of them things like we had the in you know we had the uh wits about us to pull our phones out and look in that area 
and these were iPhone sevens or it was the the plus and 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 the entire screen is almost like I fizzled, fizzled, fizzled like a static on a TV screen is what the our phones were doing at that time when we tried to capture it. And as it walked away, we hightailed it out. But it was almost like we we're stuck in molasses. That's not even the weirdest part, though. And while I say dog man, I have doubts that it wasn't some type of shape shifter uh, skinwalker because of the following events. We had the worst luck the following, I'd say, week. Our flight got delayed seven times. Seven. That's unheard of. It said plane maintenance, plane maintenance, and whatever. That, okay, so we chalked that up, but that was one of the later events the first thing that happened is we're in a rental car the tire was flat like we had just drove up there everything's fine we get back to the vehicle flat car would not even turn over this is a brand new camry straight off of the dealership or you know the rental place so i mean whatever you know those are two i guess could be coincidence then first time ever in our life we get mugged we have i mean what is what are the odds you know mugged in freaking boston I, I mean i guess boston isn't like the best area but getting mugged just seems like it's just weird all three of those combined and then the weirdest thing is that randomly we find out that we're not actually brother and sister and this is 20 years later that all this happened after seeing this creature that we find that out that we're not even technically full brother and sister like I remain anonymous, anonymous for this reason uh, of telling you all this, but all those things compiled with other little things. Dogtown is one of those places that if you ever want to experience how bad your life can be, go there, and you will. Thanks for the call. Love the podcast. Have a good one. Thank you, caller. I was pretty excited about this call because it's one of the very few Dogman encounters I've actually received on the show. So I've been hanging on to this for quite a while. But I thought, well, since I teased it the other day, I might as well play it. And that is where things get a bit weird. Like the connection of this call to the panels I did this past weekend, the other calls I had selected as I went down the line seemed to coincide with something that happened to me Uh, over the last three or four days. No, I'm not going to sit here and say that there's something paranormal going on. I'm not real sure that I think that. But I do think there's a very big coincidence happening here. The synchronicities between the stories I'm about to play and the events that have unfolded over the past four or five days is uncanny. So our next step in this wild ride sends us to Canada. The following is Jessica's call. Hey Derek, my name is Jessica and I'm from northeastern Alberta, Canada. I just started listening recently, probably a couple days ago, and uh, my podcast player has kind of shuffled me around. I've listened to a bunch of different seasons, but I was just sitting here and listened to season seven, episode three, where there's a man driving, he's a linesman, and he was driving a bucket truck and saw someone not even running, but next to his truck as he's going 60 miles an hour down the road, and it reminded me of a similar story, not as creepy, it's kind of a guardian angel story, but a few years ago, my papa passed away, and they lived in Oliver, British Columbia. So it was about 13 or 14 hour drive from here. So I drove down there for the funeral. I was there for a couple of days. And right after the funeral, I had to drive home because I was starting a new job two days later. So I didn't want to call in and miss my very first day of work. So I left Oliver about three o'clock in the afternoon. Pretty uneventful drive through the Rocky Mountains nothing creepy or crazy. It was probably about three o'clock in the morning and I was just coming up to Edmonton, which is about three and a half hours from where I live. 
and uh, I was getting pretty tired. So I was considering, once I got to the other side of Edmonton, I was going to pull over and have a little break, maybe take a short nap, and then continue on my way home. So driving along, there's no traffic. It's completely dead road. It's dark. It's clear night. It's middle of May, so right, like it, there's lots of snow here, but usually uh, middle of May, it's not bad. The roads are clear. Next thing you know, I wake up uh, coasting down the road at 20 kilometers an hour, which isn't very fast. And the seatbelt light for my passenger seat is flashing at me. Like the person that's sitting in my passenger seat needs to put their seatbelt on. The only thing is there's nobody in my car with me. And I was driving dead center of the L line. I was just coasting up the middle of the highway. I looked at the clock and it had been probably, it was about six minutes since the last time I had checked. So I, I don't know if I was asleep for six minutes or what had happened, but I went from traveling 110 kilometers an hour to a measly 20. So it, I, I sent up thanks to my papa. I'm just, I'm just assumed it was him watching over me on my way home. Um, must have fallen asleep at the wheel. And my best guess is he took my foot off the gas and made sure I didn't hit anything. So yeah, that's my my guardian angel story. It's not as creepy as that man in the bucket truck, not even close, but uh, it made me made me think of that. So yeah, thanks for letting me share my story and I hope you all have a great night. Thank you, Jessica. So here's the weird part. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law wanted to check out this whole Crypticon thing. We'd been talking about it for quite a while. And they know nothing about the cryptozoology world other than I'm involved. So they made the trip from Cleveland all the way down to Lexington and joined us for part of the weekend. I'm going to touch on more of that here in a little bit. But the important part is that they left earlier on Sunday, headed back to Cleveland. And it was on their trip back that... My sister-in-law, who was driving the vehicle, witnessed a nasty accident. Now, according to her, the car in the other lane was doing barrel rolls down the interstate. And she said, and this is the weird part, that as the vehicle came to rest in a normal driving position, the driver of the vehicle miraculously appeared outside the vehicle, standing, just feet away. Now, the way she describes it, it was an instant. The second it landed, he was already there. And she didn't remember seeing him ejected from the vehicle or climb out real quickly. She just said, the vehicle landed and he appeared. Now, I realize this is a stretch to assume that the guardian angel that Jessica claimed was protecting her is also maybe the same phenomenon that's going on here in this story. That, catch this. My sister-in-law, Jessica, witnessed. Okay, I get it. You're not convinced. It gets deeper. Our next call of the evening comes to us from Mike in the state of New York. This is Mike calling in for the ongoing UFO stories. So my story takes place in upstate New York, more specifically in the town of Hyde Park, which is in Dutchess County, New York. So these took place on a couple of cold winter mornings in the middle of December just last year. It happened almost exactly the same time in the same way. It's usually about 5 a.m., still dark out, cold, clear winter skies, Um, I was just taking one of my dogs out to go to the bathroom and I usually just look up at the sky while they're busy looking for shooting stars, passing airplanes or constellations like Orion's Belt or the Big Dipper. So one of the mornings this occurred, I noticed out of the corner of my eye as I'm looking at some cluster of stars that there was a small flash of light. 
nothing too brilliant or bright, but enough to catch my eye. Uh, so as I look over, I watch as the little star just dips across the sky from an easterly location, which is at the tail end of the Big Dipper, and moves west and then stops almost perfectly dead center in the middle of the sky. And then, just for lack of a better word, floats north very steadily with no blinking lights or any that stay on like the way a plane would, uh, usually a red light with a flashing white light. Also, this was much higher and definitely moved much faster than your average commercial plane, something like a JetBlue passenger plane. Uh, this happened the exact same way a couple mornings in a row, which was odd to me because I couldn't tell if it was maybe a satellite that I was seeing orbiting the Earth or an actual UFO, but those were the last time I'd seen anything. Then one morning a couple weeks ago, Later, at the exact same, uh, same time, doing the exact same thing, I noticed a small star just blinking out of the corner of my eye and then take off from its position. Uh, but this time it headed south. Again, still traveling at a much quicker speed than a normal airplane would. Uh, these incidents happened uh, weeks apart from each other. And I'm not saying that I'm exactly sure what I saw, but I know for sure it wasn't a plane. Thanks for letting me call in and tell my story. I absolutely love the show and keep up the great work. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Mike. Now, several months ago, Mike actually reached out to me asking for help. He didn't submit a story, per se. It was more that he was telling me about the encounters he was experiencing and looking for answers. Now, it probably surprises no one that I had no answers to give him. But what I did do was practically beg him to call this story in. Now, I told a bit of a white lie to Mike said, oh, I have an idea for this. I want to use this in such and such. But the reality was I had no idea why I was asking him to do this. I didn't really have anything planned out, so to speak. So, it's been sitting on my desktop for about, I don't know, two or three months now. And I decided, well, let's finally get this call in. It's a pretty good story. But after I'd listened to it again, I realized it correlated with something that happened yesterday. And this is admittedly the loosest connection of this entire strange sequence. Now you see, yesterday on our flight back, I uploaded some documentaries onto my iPad. Now one of those documentaries that I watched was entitled Into the Light 2, which was supposed to be about spook lights, but this one took a bit of a squatchy turn. Now, the part of the documentary that correlates is the fact that they found a a location, a strange location, in Arkansas. A place called Board Camp Crystal Mine. Now, what caught my eye here was the fact that this place seemed to have activity every single night. They've captured trail camera photos and videos of rocks seemingly moving on their own. Any metal that comes in contact with the mountain becomes magnetized instantly. And there's plenty of Sasquatchy activity. Now, I distinctly remember my thoughts while watching this program. I thought, there seems to be activity nightly, and the activity captured is somewhat exciting. I find it interesting that I watched a convincing film showcasing regularly occurring activity the day before randomly selecting a call about randomly occurring activity. Then again, as I said before, this is by far the loosest connection. Now again, that film was called Into the Light 2, and it can be found streaming on Amazon Prime. In addition, I've linked to it in tonight's show notes. Before I move on to the next story, I need to uh, hit a couple of these things up here. A quick reminder that I'll be at the Mothman Festival coming up September 21st. That's a Saturday. I won't have a booth or doing any talks or anything like that, but I will be walking the streets in a Monsters Among Us t-shirt. If you see me, come by and say hello. I know a lot of you have ordered shirts and other merchandise. I've been out of town for the past five or six days, so tomorrow morning I'll get all that stuff out to you right away. For all of you that have been asking about coffee mugs, the day is coming. 
I'm actually going to put that order in as soon as tomorrow. So look for those in the next couple weeks. For you Patreon supporters, I have a new episode coming out this weekend. I know I'm a little bit behind, but all this travel has made it difficult to get stuff out. But uh, no fret, I'll get you covered here this weekend. And lastly, if you have a story to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com. Okay, let's get back to it. Our next story of the evening takes us to the state of North Carolina. The following is Jeremy's Call. Good afternoon, Derek. My name is Jeremy. It's coming to you from North Carolina. Uh, growing up, my father's best friend was a Lumbee Indian, and we used to, you know, go down to Lumberton and fish in the Lumber River, which is the only black flowing river in North Carolina. So about three years ago, we went back down, and we were down boating around it was around 10 o'clock it was very very dark outside but you know we had lamplight and all of a sudden this was just a little john boat and all of a sudden a wave came by us and you know this is a nice flowing river we wasn't at any of the rough spots but this wave came out of nowhere and all we saw was spikes on the back of this whatever it was and i kid you not it we were in i'd say it was a Jumbo was 13, 14 foot long. This thing was probably at least 10 foot in total longer than this boat. So as we're going, you know, we're trying to keep pace because, I mean, this is actually a very thick wave. So as the creature cuts up into the woods, we see it. It's a snake. But this is literally a 25 foot long snake in North Carolina in the Lumber River. So this is actually apparently not... It didn't shock this this gentleman that I'm speaking of, the Lumbee, that we were with. He is roughly around 75, 70, 75 years old. So he had very vast knowledge of this area. And growing up, he said he's heard many, many stories about the ungodly creatures inside of the the river itself. But the snake is one of the most popular and the one that's most seen. But you only see it. It, it's only a scene at night. You never, obviously, never see it in broad daylight because obviously there'd be pictures. But it, the spikes on the back of it is what distinctly stood out. And apparently, it's it's a, it's a it's not a Lumbee Indian um, folklore, but it's, it's of some type of called the bighorn the bighorn snake. And it's it's a mythological creature supposedly, but I mean, I swear to God, with my own eyes, I've seen this thing. And I've never been more terrified in my life. You know, if it knocked us in the water, you know, we're goners. So that's my story. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Now here's where things start to get a little weird. Yesterday, we only had a few hours before our plane left. So Sarah decided we were going to take a train ride Cuyahoga Valley National Park, a train that we board in a town called Peninsula. Now, there's something strange about the town of Peninsula. They have a legend. They have a cryptid. A giant snake. A legend known as the Peninsula Python. For the history on that, I kick it over to my good friend, David Flora of Blurry Photos. He was kind enough to volunteer his 1940s newsy voice for this article. 18-foot-long snake story has Peninsula squirming. Peninsula, Ohio, June 20th. Clarence Mitchell's hair-raising story of seeing an 18-foot snake, quote, thick as your thigh, cross his corn patch, leaving a trail, quote, like a tractor's tires, as the men of Peninsula half a mind to go on a snake hunt Sunday. 
Clarence is not given to seeing snakes, and folks are inclined to credit the yarn. Especially since Dale Hall and Dud Watson, first and second assistant police chiefs, interviewed him in detail as to the circumstances. I got the straight of it from Clarence and his mother, Dixie, where they live on the West River Road, on the first bend south of the Big Swamp between Everett and Ira. Clarence was hoeing that corn ground over between the old Ohio Canal bend and the Cuyahoga River. Two, three days, the dogs was nervous, and finally they wouldn't go over there without me at all, he said. I thought they was acting kind of funny, but didn't pay it much mind. I don't know what made me look up, but there about 15 paces away was the biggest snake I ever seen. I just stood quiet. I only had a hoe and was not aiming to attract any attention. I could see her full length all the time. The corn was only sprouting. She looked like she come from the big swamp. She kept right on going, and when she came to the river, she slid in, swam across, and headed toward the yellow clay slip on the nose of one of those hogbacks between the gullies east of the river. I swear she was as thick as my leg right here, and at the very least 15 feet long. About 18 feet would be nearer. I went over and looked at the path she made in the soft ground. Looked like one auto wheel had rolled across that field. She was kind of dark brown all over, without any marking I could notice. With the blackberries coming ripe any day, the women folks are abandoning plans for the annual cropping. They can rot on the canes, said Mrs. Ted Mitchell. She's the wife of Clarence's brother, who lives across the road. That article was written by Robert Bordner for the Akron Beacon Journal on Wednesday, June 21st, 1944. Now, the snake was never found, but that doesn't stop the town from celebrating. To this day, they still celebrate Python Days, an annual festival to commemorate the slithery cryptid. I should also extend a huge thank you to Mark Madsky of Monsteropolis. He was kind enough to lend me that article. And actually, while we were on the train through Peninsula, we passed by a small lake known as Indigo Lake. Now, according to the volunteers on the train, it was only about 50 years old, but some mentioned a monster may live in this lake. They referred to it as the Indigo Lake Monster. So if anyone in that area has any information on that particular legend, I'd certainly be interested in hearing about it. In addition, I heard of another cryptid in the Cleveland area, the Hartville Muck Monster. So if anyone knows anything about that, please let me know. As far as Jeremy's call is concerned, that river looks pretty murky and dark, so who knows what could be hiding under that black water. I suppose it's possible that a green anaconda may have escaped or was released and somehow survived in that river system, although something tells me that the winters there probably keep that from happening. Thank you again for sharing your tale. So obviously, all of these calls seem to line up in some way with the past week that I've experienced, and I needed one more to round out the entire episode. So... I decided to do a little experiment. I toggled through my email, which I have several pages of unread submissions. I get several a day, so it's hard to keep up. And landed on a page. Granted, my eyes were closed. Picked one of those random emails and played the call. To my surprise, it came from a city that I'd just driven through twice of all the cities in the world. Somehow, Cincinnati came to the top. The following was submitted anonymously. Hi, I'm just calling to talk about a story that happened uh, across from the cemetery where I live, uh, Spring Grove Cemetery in Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. I have a few stories about the cemetery. They're both ghost sightings. The first one uh, happened maybe five years ago. Uh, it was the first time we had a new bass player in our band. I used to be in a band. And he was driving up past the cemetery um, on the way to our practice space, which was on the other side of the cemetery, actually still facing the cemetery, uh, like way on the other side. And 
he showed up to his first practice and he was white as a ghost. We were like, what's wrong? And he said, I just saw the freakiest thing. This woman, while I was driving, this all this woman dressed all in white, very old, was just walking um, across the road right in front of the cemetery. There's these big gates that go past the cemetery, so you can't get in that way. She was walking on the road that's adjacent to the cemetery, um, and I saw this big truck come by, and I slammed on my brakes because I thought she was going to get hit, and the truck just drove right past her, and she was gone. So that's the first story. Uh, second story happened a couple years later um, when we were actually on tour, and we were talking to this girl who actually used to work um, in one of like the little farms uh, on the other side of the cemetery, and she, we told her that story, and she said that one time she was cutting across the cemetery on the way to her job, and she, they would jump the fence. Um, like I said, there was a fence. They would jump the fence, and she was jumping the fence, and she felt somebody grab her hoodie from behind and pull it, and she was physically pulled back in this exact same spot, um, turned around, and nobody was there. So uh, do with that what you will. Maybe both of them were totally pulling my leg, but I don't. Uh, they're pretty trustworthy people. So I would probably venture to say not pulling my leg. I don't know. Both totally freaky. I am living within maybe 100 feet of the cemetery too, which totally adds some spookiness. But I've never seen anything myself. This is all hearsay. But still totally creepy. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, caller. I remember driving through Cincinnati each time thinking I should spend more time in this town. Of all the Ohio cities, it's by far the one I've spent the least time in. And that's strange because I grew up a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan and Cincinnati Reds fan. Now I have a bit of full disclosure here to share with you. That is actually not the call that I clicked on. The call I clicked on did come from Cincinnati and did mention the town several times but unfortunately the quality of the call was so low I couldn't share it so I did a search and found another Cincinnati call and as it turns out that one cut off halfway through luckily there was a third submission and then a fourth so I'm going to go ahead and share that fourth submission with you now as well so I should mention that if you called in and your story was about the Cincinnati area. You need to call in again because your call is unusable. So back to that additional Cincinnati themed call. I'm going to suggest that if you have young children listening, you may want to uh, turn this off or uh, take them out of the room. There's no vulgar language used, but the situations are a bit adult in this next call. So without further hesitation, the following was submitted anonymously from the state of Ohio. Hi Derek, this is Molly. Um, the incident happened in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was 1993. I was 14 years old. Um, so I just started high school, made a new friend, and we were hanging out, getting along, and she asked if I wanted to have a sleepover, and I'm like, sure. So I go over to her house, it's a weekend, and we, you know, do girl stuff, eat snacks, watch movies, you know, and then we went to bed when it was late at night. Well, it probably wasn't too late, it was probably, like, you know, 11.30, whatnot. So all of a sudden, I'm asleep, dead asleep. I wake up in the middle of the night with someone feeling my legs. So someone's touching my legs, and I'm like, wait, is this for real happening? 
and it went up further so finally there was a person on top of me I didn't see him I felt him though I could feel his arms and his like neck his chest it was very muscular he was big he didn't say anything to me um, but it's almost like he communicated through just like mentally it was I felt anger um, through him rage um, assault sex and rape that's what was coming through and I really do believe that he was wanting to rape me so I I mean fear scared frightened petrified those aren't even big enough words for what I felt it was the scariest thing ever so I I'm tiny I'm only 4'11 and so I put my I was trying to push him off and push him off and I managed to get my feet up underneath his chest and I just pushed him off with all my might just I finally just pushed him off with my with my legs and I can feel him go I heard him go oh and I just backed up I put myself in almost like a fetal position and I waited till the sun came up and I couldn't drive so I just was waiting till that sun came up and I hurried up and called my sister and I said please come and get me I never spent the night there again I never talked to her about it I didn't talk to anybody about it I thought everybody was going to think I was crazy. Till finally, later on in life, in my 20s, and the internet was booming, I, I researched things, and this happens. And I guess there was a thing called an incubus, and I believe that that's what got to me, or was trying to get to me. So thank you so much for listening to my story. I love your podcast. Appreciate you. Have a good one. Good night. Thank you, caller. This story reminds me of a famous haunting, and subsequently, a famous film on that haunting. Now, weirdly enough, this haunting took place in Culver City, California, which the entire time that I lived in the L.A. area, which was a span of over 10 years, I lived no less than two or three miles from this location. Now, the case I'm referring to is the Doris Bither case, also known as the Entity Haunting. It was an alleged haunting that occurred in 1974 in Culver City, where a woman named Doris Bither alleged ghosts of three men were raping her. The case inspired Frank DiFiletta's 1978 book, The Entity, which was made into a movie in 1982. Here's the trailer. Just stay. Come here. 20th Century Fox presents the story of Carla Moran. The most extraordinary case in the history of psychic research. Everything broke loose and went crazy and everything was shaking. The bed was shaking and the walls were shaking. And... Like, uh, like an earthquake. No, it wasn't like an earthquake. It was much stronger than any earthquake. Oh, wait a minute. I, I, honey, I don't really understand this. I, you were attacked? Or, or you weren't? It happened. I was raped. You were raped by whom? I don't know. There was no one there. A team of experts will investigate her life. Why does he attack you, Carla? <laughs> Not to anyone else. Why is she going to such lengths to support this delusion? And they will find more than evidence. They will find the entity. Now, I've actually never seen this film, so I certainly can't recommend it. But I have heard that it's pretty decent. Now, I won't go too far into the subject of this, but I have heard of cases like this outside of the entity case, although they are extremely rare. Now, I certainly can't comment on the validity of any of these claims, but I can say that an experience like that would be downright terrifying, and I feel terrible for anyone 
that would have to endure it. Thank you again, caller, for sharing that story. So there you have it. There's my little journey. I imagine a lot of this could be chalked up to coincidence, and the rest of it is maybe just me grabbing at straws. But I spent the past week driving through several states, flying across the country. So for me, this all feels just a little too real. And to maybe put a pin in the rest of this, I met so many people at Crypticon that came up to the booth. They all wanted to talk about projects they were working on or uh, stories they heard or experiences they had. But of those five or six hundred people, I'd say at least a dozen of them mentioned this single quote. And it's from John Keel, the author of Mothman Prophecies. And the quote actually stems from that book. But they all brought this up. They notice you noticing them. I'm not exactly slipping on my tinfoil hat just yet, but all these synchronicities are pretty interesting. So why don't you jump over to uh, Facebook or Instagram or something and, and leave a comment. Let me know if you think I'm grabbing at straws and making invisible connections, or if maybe there's something stranger going on here. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Pon Abbott, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the music you're hearing is from the talented Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. Thanks for sticking around. I decided to try my luck and do the same thing with a written submission. That said, I knew this episode needed a Bigfoot call, so I went to my Bigfoot folder and blindly selected a written submission. So tonight's submission comes to us anonymously from the state of Tennessee. Hi, Derek. When I was young, it was a Memorial Day tradition for me and a bunch of buddies to go camping deep in the Daniel Boone National Forest. To preface this entire tale, I'm not going to lie and say we didn't imbibe in a few beverages on our yearly three-day outing, but certainly nothing too extreme because we liked going deep and didn't want to risk injury. Nothing super exciting ever happened besides your usual campfire chats and hiking sessions. We generally liked to camp near small creeks and rivers as it was an easy way to keep up with our whereabouts. In the late 90s, cell phones weren't a big thing yet particularly for a group of 20-somethings in the woods. On this particular day, we had set up camp and sat around chatting. Finally, with our youthful energy brewing, two of us decided to take a hike. Nothing out of the ordinary. Just birds chirping, the heat of the day, wandering almost aimlessly and simply living in the moment. All of a sudden, down a fairly large embankment, we looked down and see a small creek. In this creek, crouched down in a squat is a brown creature the size of an NFL linebacker. Maybe six foot five, splashing in the water. Its back was to us, but we could see it was no bear. It had hands, fingers, and legs, just like a human. It was just splashing around like a child would do. Long, brown hair. Definitely not tightly packed fur like a bear. We took off. Fear took us over. Of course, no one believed us back at camp. 
We were just trying to scare them, quote-unquote. The chances of running into another person in the forest camping, just like we were, is entirely plausible, particularly on a holiday weekend. And I don't discount that fact, but I'll never forget that day and the primal fear that it caused. We stuck out the rest of the trip, chalking it all up to a prank by some other campers. You know, just looking for laughs. Now, hearing more about Bigfoot sightings in Kentucky always brings me back to that moment. Thank you for letting me share my story. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And at first I thought, ah, here we go. Yeah, this one takes place in Kentucky and I just spent the weekend in Kentucky. But that wasn't quite enough. And then I thought about something. Sarah's grandparents actually live uh, in Kentucky and her grandfather had some complications over the past week and was rushed to the hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee. And since we were in Lexington, Sarah and her family decided to uh, take a quick trip down to Knoxville to visit him in the hospital. So I asked directly, did you pass through Daniel Boone National Forest on your way to visit your grandfather? And to my surprise, or perhaps not to my surprise, she did. And not only that, but they had a lengthy conversation about visiting that very park sometime soon. So, take this however you'd like. But this is exactly how all this went down. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. improves children's health by developing better treatments and technologies. As one of the top children's hospitals in the nation, we take on the most complex, rare, and life-threatening conditions because all children deserve a healthy future. And with our new pediatric-focused research and innovation campus opening this spring, we'll be able to generate and share even more discoveries. Learn more at childrensnational.org innovation. Your home is more connected than ever. So when one kid is schooling the competition... Got it. The other is getting schooled. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And you're streaming a webinar for work and the latest episode of your favorite show at the same time. Shh. Your Wi-Fi needs to be able to handle it. That's why Xfinity never stops working to bring you faster, more reliable Wi-Fi. So you can do it all, all at the same time. Xfinity. The future of awesome. Learn more at Xfinity.com.